Amen, amen. Well, one of the things that we're going to be getting into this morning is James chapter number three. One of the, one of the areas that we're going to get into is talking about wisdom. Wisdom is an important principle that God gives in the Bible, but there's a specific reason for it. And, and wisdom is an amazing thing that God does. How many of y'all know there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge? You see, knowledge will tell you that if you hit something enough times, it'll come down. But wisdom tells you to sharpen first. Like if you're cutting down a tree, you want to sharpen the axe. Amen? Anybody knows the axe will bring down a tree, but a wise person will sharpen the axe first. And you see, God can give you wisdom. Amen? How many of you tired of hitting that tree? How many of y'all tired of hitting that tree? Amen? But God can give you wisdom to bring those things down. God can give you wisdom, and the wisdom that God gives you is not from the earth. It's from above. Come on now. The wisdom that God, God, God will give you insight in a situation that doesn't make sense in the natural. Woo. God will give you some wisdom to take care of your issues if you'll trust him with it. Because sometimes it's dark to the mind. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to the mind. But God will speak to you in the heart. God will give you wisdom down in your soul. Amen? If you'll listen to the Spirit of the Lord, he'll do that. And wisdom is an amazing thing. Amen? Wisdom is an amazing thing. Um, let's look in, in verse number 13. So James chapter number 3, verse number 13. It says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have, listen to this, bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Where envying strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Let me tell you something this morning. Whenever somebody begins to get a mind of the world, they're going to grow bitter. They're going to get envious. They're gonna, their, their strife is going to grow. They're going to be so earthly that it doesn't matter what they say, you're going to hear it in their heart. When somebody leans on the wisdom of the world, bitterness will grow in their soul. We've, we've talked about bitterness last week. We're going to get into bitterness this morning, but I want you to know that bitterness will make you dumb. Bitterness will cause you to make some dumb decisions. Bitterness will cause you to do stuff that you will regret. Bitterness will cause you to slam the door on folks that never did you any harm. Bitterness will cause you to shut people out of your life that are trying to help you out. And, and, and bitterness goes in multiple levels. Do you know sometimes that you can get bitter against other people? And sometimes you can get bitter against God. And that's a dangerous place to be. But I want you to know that God's going to heal you today of that. I want you to know that if you will listen to the Spirit of the Lord, He's going to pull up that root of bitterness out of your heart today. 
But bitterness, bitterness takes place because we have shown partiality for the things of this world and not the things of the world to come. If you'll keep your eyes on eternity, you're not going to get bitter about nothing in this life. But if you watch the things of this world, if you are locked in and zoned in on this life, things will happen that will make you grow bitter. And that wisdom, the Bible says here, that something inside of you that grows bitter, it comes from the devil. It's earthly, it's devilish. And it doesn't matter what it is, if it's causing you to get bitter, it's from the devil. The devil comes to rob you of the life of God in you. Jesus said in, in John chapter number 10 that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you allow yourself to get into this place of bitterness, he will rob you of the life of God in you. He will steal the joy of God on you and he will kill the plan and purpose that God had for you if you allow bitterness to grow within you. This bitterness, like he says here, this is from the earth. It is, it is devilish and it is demonic and it comes to destroy every person that bites that bitter apple. And, and don't make any bones about it. It is a bitter apple. And if you begin to chew on it, even though it robs you of the life of God, your flesh desires it. Just like the flesh of Eve desired that apple and Adam went along with it, your flesh desires to take up for yourself, to take vengeance for yourself. Your flesh desires to get mad at other people, to get mad at circumstances, and to grow in bitterness. And the more you grow in bitterness, the less you're going to grow in the power of God. And so, so therein lies one of the major paradoxes that we have. It, 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 and bitterness goes right along with evil. Anytime you see evil on the scene, you're going to see people that are bitter. Bitter about something. Bitter is one of the genesis of many evils in the world today. One of the things that we always talk about is how evil and rotten the world is, but we don't talk about that most often it springs, like the Bible says here, from a place of bitterness. I remember ministering to somebody one time at a, uh, a gas station. I know it's kind of odd, but sometimes you need to share your faith, even at gas stations. And I was, I was talking to someone, and, and, and she said she was an agnostic. I said, well, what do you mean? Because, you know, I was, I was like, what is that? She said, I just don't, you know, how can God be? Because I had a sister that died. So how can there be a God? And I said, well, have you thought that maybe God was protecting her from something that was going to happen to her? Maybe God was moving her out of this life and into glory to protect her life, to keep her, you know, and, and that's one of the things is that if you dwell on things like that, it'll grow bitterness in you, but if you will release it to God, God will carry you through it. There's things that happen in this life that we can't understand. And if you try, if you set out to, you've got to know the why that God does everything, you're going to get extremely bitter because, the, because God's ways are higher than our ways. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't have the mind of God, but we've been given the mind of Christ. And this is an important distinction that somebody needs to hear today. Because God, the mind of God is all-knowing. The mind of Christ is the mind of a servant. 
Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thy will. See, whenever Christ came here, he came and, and he became a man, but he did the will of the Father. The plan and the purpose that was forethought in the beginning of time, he came and did it. And so whenever he became a man, he set out to do the will of God. Amen? And that's the same mind that God has given us. So we don't know why something happened in our life. But we know that God is good, God is gracious, and God will minister peace to us in the moment. Why is not ours to answer? And God doesn't answer to us. If you want to be like Job, God will set you up and show you. Where were you whenever I created the stars and the heavens? Where were you when I created the oceans and all the inhabitants thereof? In other words, who are you to question me? We've not been given the mind of God, but the mind of Christ, and that is the mind to serve God, to love God, and hold his hand. Don't ever forget that we're the sheep of his pasture. Don't ever forget we're his sheep. We're his sheep. We're his children. We're his children, you know? One of the things I wanted to uh, get into this morning, if you'll go to the book of John, uh, John chapter number 21. We're going to talk about something. This is between the resurrection and the glorification of Jesus. One of the most beautiful parts of the Bible, you know, Jesus came and he existed for all of eternity and the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he became a man. The Bible says in John 1, 14, that, that the flesh, he, he became a man and he dwelt among us. And John said, we beheld his glory. And, and, and one of the things that I want you to see is he went to the cross as God. He died as God. He rose from the dead as God. And before he returned to heaven, after he accomplished all that was necessary for our salvation, before he returned to heaven. And listen, I want you to know that there's been no homecoming like that. When the Lord of glory stepped back into heaven's gates, all the host of heaven said, he did it. Glory to the king. Glory to the lamb. He purchased the souls of man. You see, before that time, there was no redemption possible for me and you until God came down here to earth and purchased our souls. And as he came back to heaven, all of heaven broke out. Amen? You ain't never seen a praise and worship time like that. And anyways, after he rose from the dead and before he went up to heaven to, to be glorified in heaven, he stopped and he ministered to the disciples for a number of days. And one of the disciples that he took time to minister to was the apostle Peter. Peter, if you remember, Peter had denied Christ three times. Y'all remember that? He, he failed God. Can we just say that? He failed God three times. He turned his back on the Lord Jesus three times. And God knew he was going to do it. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Amen? 
And he said, and on the backside, I want you to strengthen your brethren. This means after Pentecost, after you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, I want you to establish the church. I want you to strengthen the sheep. This is why whenever, whenever the Lord came to Jesus, he asked him, do you love me three times? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me, right? You remember this? Now, one of the things that happens, though, is, is the Lord Jesus is in the middle of restoring Peter. How many of you like, I love it when the Lord restores me. But how many of you know that we are flesh? And we, we sometimes take a peek out of our eye at other people's lives. And we're, why aren't they having to go through what I'm going through? In the middle of getting restored, we just open the corner of our eye. We look over there at Sister Susie and we're like, why does she have to go through what I'm going through? If she had to go through what I'm going through, she wouldn't be smiling. She wouldn't be raising her hands, worshiping God. If she was dealt this hand that I've been dealt, she wouldn't have a shout of worship. You see, here's what we forget. God is good. God is good no matter what the circumstances are. God is worthy no matter the circumstances of our lives. God deserves the glory and the honor and the worship of us. Amen? He's good. He's God of the hill and God of the valley. He's God on the good day and the bad day. He's good, and he'll see you through all of those hills and valleys if you'll keep your eyes on him. And here in the middle of this beautiful moment when the Lord is busy taking time. Listen, I want you to catch this, though. The Lord just takes time. Can you think about this? This is the creator of heaven and earth. He just rose from the dead, and he's about to go to this homecoming in heaven where everything that he ever created in the heavens is about to worship him as being the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. He's about to just be worshiped and adored, but he's taking time and he's saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And now I gotta go, hold on, but Peter, don't you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And the whole time he's doing it, he's looking out the corner of his eye, wondering why other people aren't having to go through what he's going through. Watch this, let me show you this. John chapter number 21, and we'll begin in verse Number 17, talking about Jesus, it says, He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Speaking of his deity, by the way. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. This is the job of any minister. Peter was the, the uh, apostle in the church in Jerusalem, and, and his job was to make sure that God's sheep were fed what God wanted them to have. And look what he says in verse number 18. Right after, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou was young, thou girdest thyself and walked whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, 
Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me, follow me. Do you remember whenever the Lord first called Peter? Do you remember what he said? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And right here, this is right before Pentecost, he's telling Peter, don't you love me? Yes. Okay, listen. When you was young, you was able to do anything you wanted to do, but when you're old, you're going to have to do something you don't want to do. But follow me. Follow me. In other words, keep your eyes on me. In other words, don't look at what's going on in other people's lives. I want you to lock your eyes on me. I want you to lock your eyes on me, he's saying. Follow me. You're going to have to do something you don't want to do, and you are going to have to keep your eyes on me if you're going to accomplish it. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, if you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you're not going to be able to fulfill that call. No matter how big or small you think the task is, if God's given it to you, it's a divine task. And in order for you to accomplish it, you're going to have to keep your eyes on him and not on them. And one of the things that we need to grab hold of this morning is in response to that. Now, let me, let me, let's just look at Peter, though, first off, before we get a little deeper. P Peter is told he's about to be martyred. That's what he's told. Church history tells us that he was crucified. Crucified. He was martyred for his faith. And Peter, whenever he knew he was going to be crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die the same way as Jesus. Wow. You know what? We all want a 401K and we want to retire with benefits and we want this and we want that and yet Jesus was martyred for the faith. Peter was martyred for the faith. The disciples were filleted alive, boiled, de decapitated, and people are still being martyred today for the faith of Jesus Christ. And yet all we want as American Christians is a 401k and health benefits, and we want to go to church and have our Starbucks and cake and get pom-poms and go home. But God, listen, that's earthly wisdom. You need to listen to the Spirit of God. I want you to, I want you to catch something right here, though. When Jesus tells Peter, you're going to die for me, he said, follow me. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't lean on your own understanding. Follow me. Follow me, Peter. Now, the, the proper response to that, you know, we don't know what we would do in that situation because we hadn't been there. But the proper response to that is, yes, sir, I will do my best. Now, let's finish this out. Let's watch this. Look at this next verse. Jesus said, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, 
which is he that betrayed thee? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Do you see that? Jesus just looked Peter in the eye and he said, you're going to have to do something you don't want to do and in order for you to do it, you must follow me. And Peter looks over at John and said, what about him? You know what that is? Evaluating how good God is to you by looking at how good God is to others. This is how bitterness will grow in you. If you believe God is good or bad to you, and you base it off of how good or bad you believe God is to someone else, you'll get bitter. They have two cars. I only got one. God must love them and hate me. They have four kids. I got none. God must love them and hate me. This wisdom is devilish, and it will birth bitterness. This wisdom will birth bitterness. I've been divorced five times. They hadn't been divorced. God must love them. I've had to bury people that I love. They've never had to even go to a funeral. God must love them. You see, Jesus looked at Peter in the eye and he said, don't you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Look, you're going to have to do something you don't want to do. You must follow me. Peter's response well, what about John? Why don't John? Why aren't you telling John he has to do this? You you say you love me, but why isn't he having to do what I'm having to do? Look, if you start comparing the goodness of God based on how good God is to others, you will never be who God designed you to be. You will never fulfill the call of God on your life if you're too busy comparing God's goodness to other people. You don't know the battles they're going through. You don't know the wars they've been in. You don't know all the things that are coming against them because, listen, the enemy is no respecter of person. The enemy wars at all of us. He's our enemy. He's our adversary. He walks about as a roaring lion, looking whom he may devour. If you give him that little piece right there where you believe God is good based on how he treats others, You've already missed the boat. You've allowed bitterness to begin to be planted in your soul because you think that God is good or bad based on other people. They don't, they never lost their job. They've never lost their loved one. They've never had to bury their child. They've never had to bury their parent or their spouse. They've never been divorced. They've never been on the streets homeless. They've never done this. They've never been sick. They've never done this. You know what? They aren't your God. Your relationship to God has no bearing on how good God is to them or bad. God is telling you to follow him. If you will follow him, bitterness won't grow in you. But if you begin to look to the left or to the right and you say, well, what am I doing wrong? I mean, you know, Brother Billy over there, Brother Johnny over there, they, they, they've got a job, they've got this, they've got that. You don't know. 
that could be destroying them. There are some people that in the world's eyes, they're being blessed, but it's actually decaying the vibrance of their spirit. Just because somebody's growing in worldly goods doesn't mean they're growing in God. Please don't be deceived. More money don't equal more God. Some, you know, what you call a blessing and what God calls a blessing is different. If you don't know, you need to come to Wednesday night. Bible study. We're looking at the Beatitudes, how to have a blessed life. And it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with worldly goods. But it has everything to do with your spirit and God. So just because somebody has a job or two jobs or children or no children or houses or cars or whatever, it doesn't mean that God's blessing them. They could, be, they could be stealing money. They could be lying to the IRS. There's no telling how they got their job. There's no telling how they got their money. You don't know. So quit evaluating how good you think God is to you based on what other people are doing. So Peter here says, so I'm going to be martyred. What about John? You mean I'm going to be martyred? I don't get to get my 401k. I don't get to cash it in. Where's my social security? You don't get none of that, Peter. You get to die for me. Well, that's not fair. Lord. You don't know because God's going to use you. God's going to get a testimony out of you. That's greater than a 401k. God, you know what? You don't know the lives that Peter's touched. Whenever he was hanging upside down on the cross, they said that his family sang hymns as he was going to the cross. Talk about raising your family right. When they know, hey, dad's being obedient to the Lord, praise God, and they're worshiping God as he's going to be martyred. We would be thinking, why has God forsaken me? Because we are too busy looking at wisdom from an earthly perspective. you look at wisdom from an earthly perspective, only millionaires and billionaires have God's grace. But when you look at wisdom from God's perspective, God blesses those folks that the world looks over. Oh, uh, Leonard Ravenhill, he said, when they asked him one time, they said, who's the greatest preacher in the world today? He said, you don't know him. He said he's preaching to seven people today in some small town that you've never heard of. He was a plumber all week, crawling under floors and in attics and doing this and doing that, and he's preaching his guts out right now. He said, you don't know the greatest preacher. See, the world looks at things from earthly perspective, but God looks at things from a completely different way. And, and, and we hear that, but listen, we still compare God's blessing by how many cars we have versus how many cars he lets other people have. Amen. And when you do things like that, when you don't have what they have, you're going to get bitter. When you have to go through storms they don't have to go through, you'll get bitter. 
When you have to pay a cost they don't have to pay, you'll get bitter. Why do I have to go through this? Why, do, why is it me? Why is it my life? Nothing ever works out. Nobody's life works out until they give it to God. The only time anybody's life has ever worked out is when they've surrendered to Jesus and they've entered into that place called a crucified life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Does Christ live in you or do you live for you? Because listen, don't tell me that God's blessing your life when you're doing things that God hates. God does not bless what he hates. But if you'll fall on your knees and surrender, God will do a work in you. God will save you, deliver you, and restore you, and he will fill you with his Holy Spirit, and he will set you on a new path, and he will give you a new purpose in life. But it doesn't make sense according to the world doesn't make sense according to the world so so Peter said well what about John look what Jesus said in in verse number 22 Jesus said unto him if I will that he tarry till I come what is that to thee follow thou me do you know I love you know you guys that come here a lot y'all know I always got to say this but in the King James thou means singular thou thine is the glory thou when jesus said follow thou me he's making it specific you don't look to the left or right follow thou me who cares if other people have cars houses or not don't think you're better off than them because you have things that they don't it doesn't mean that God's blessing you just because you have a job or a car. But don't tell me that because there's many saints of God over in other countries that don't have half the things you have that are more holy and godly than us. Don't ever, don't ever equate godliness with stuff. Well, I just don't have what everybody else has. Who cares? Amen. If God's your provider, he's your provider. If God is your provider, he's your provider. If the world is your provider, the world will slap you around. The, the, the world will use you and abuse you and slap you around. But if God's your provider, he will meet your needs. So, so the Lord tells Peter, remember he said, follow me. If you, in the beginning of his ministry, he told Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And right here, he says, follow me. And then after Peter said, what about John? I can almost see Jesus. I don't know if you've seen those things where he just kind of takes his finger. Shh. Shh. Follow thou me. It's kind of like, Peter, just stop now while you're ahead. Just stop. Stop while you're ahead and listen to me. Follow thou me. This is the call that God has on every life. 
If you will listen to the Spirit of God and forsake the world and follow Jesus, he will give you his Spirit today. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. No bitter root will grow in you. No bitter root will grow in you where the Spirit of the Lord resides. If you will forsake the world and follow Jesus, he will give his self to you. But if you try to hold on to the things of this life, it's going to be a long, hard road. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 12. Let me show you something over here. Hebrews chapter number 12. And we'll begin with verse number 1 over here. Hebrews chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 1. Talking about Jesus telling us, follow thou me. We've been called to live a set-apart life that follows the Lord. Many times people follow their idols. It's an amazing word. Isn't it amazing how our generation has, has taken that word idol for a good thing? Who's your idol? Who do you idolize? And we don't even stop and think that that's a God-forsaken term. That's a God-forsaken thought process. We shall have no idols before him. The one we follow should be Christ and Christ alone. Lord, where you lead, I'll follow. If it makes me look like a fool to the world, let it be. When, when is this generation going to be willing to be made a fool for God? Sometimes the, the, the Lord doesn't need, you know, uh, big buildings. He needs a heart that he can inhabit. It doesn't cost as much for you to put an extra $20 in an offering plate than to give God your whole heart instead of half of it. But God don't want half your heart. And he don't want your $20 bill as a tip. He wants complete and total obedience and surrender to him. Nothing less will do. It's not just preachers that have to live a consecrated life. God didn't call just ministers to live holy. He called his children to live holy. He didn't say, preachers, be ye holy for I am holy. He said, church, Christian, people of God, pilgrims, redeemed of the Lamb, be ye holy, for I am holy. He's called us to be set apart. He's called us to be set apart. Our, our generation wants to fit in. Fit in with what? Fit in? Fit in with what? Well, everybody else has one. Why can't I? Everybody else has one what? Everybody else has the fruit of the Spirit? Well, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Everyone else has the joy of the Lord? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Everybody else has the peace of God? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, what else do you want? You want the fruit of the Spirit? You want the joy of the Lord? You want the peace of God? No, I want a car. A new one. I, I, want, I, want, a, uh, I want to get a supervisor position. And I will sell out my soul to get it. Now, we may not say those words, but people will turn their back on God in a New York minute 
to get what their flesh craves. How many times we pray for people? I want a job, I want a job, I want a job, I need a job. Put me on the prayer list, I need a job. Put me on the prayer list, I need a By the way, things on our prayer list, if you need a job, that's the prayer list to get on because God answers those prayers on our prayer list. But this is many times we've had a lot of testimonies out of that prayer list. But we pray for so many, I need a job. God gives them a job, and you never see them again. I heard a minister say one time, I'm no longer praying for people to get a job or get married. He said, those are two things I will not pray for anymore because every person we pray, whenever they get the spouse or the kids or the job, God becomes second place, then third place, then fourth place, then no place. It's a slow descent. Amen? Well, it shows what the soul's really after. Are you pursuing earthly things or are you pursuing godly things? One of the things, though, that, that God told Peter was to follow him. And that's a question the Lord's asking today is, who are we following? Who are you following today? Are you following the Lord or are you following this generation? Are you following the culture? Are you, are you believing that God's good to you based on how good God is to others? Because that's a faulty that's a faulty mentality, and it will cause bitterness to grow in you. Watch the, um, verse number one. It says, wherefore. Now, now, this is built on Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter. Wherefore, and you know the faith chapter is, is about believing, believing before you see it. Come on. Faith is about believing something before you see it. And not, not believing anything, believing something God said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in order for faith to rise, you've got to get the word of God down in your soul. And you've got to grab hold of something God has said and believe it even though you don't see it. Amen? And see, you don't have to go to a conference to get stuff like that. You just get in the word of God, and faith will begin to rise if you'll hold on to it and believe it. You don't have to go pay somebody $99 for something like that. The word of God, well, the King James Bible has no copyright on it. The word of God, it, 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 nobody, they can burn all the books in the world. They'll never stamp out the word of God. It's eternal. It's eternal. Look at verse number 12. It says, wherefore... Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. You know what a weight is? Can I tell you? A weight is something that don't make sense. Why do I have to go through this? A weight is something that don't make sense. Don't tell me you don't know what that is. Whenever you go through life and things just don't make sense, that's a spiritual weight. And that spiritual weight can sink you if you don't let it go at the feet of Jesus. Well, Sister Nancy don't have to go through what I'm going through. 
Brother Bob over there, he's never had to fight for what I got to fight for. I mean, I've got to fight just to be here today. You know what? That's a weight. That's a spiritual weight. Those weights are things that don't make sense to the natural mind. And if you hold on to it, it'll sink the boat. It'll sink the boat. But praise God. Look, look what he said, though. L- listen to the words that he says right here. He said, let us lay aside every weight. Do you know that it's possible that no matter what is weighing you down, you can let it go? If you have the victory in Jesus, there is nothing that this life can weigh you down with that you don't have to hold on to forever. If it is an ungodly weight and something that don't make sense, there's an altar that you can take it to and there's a God who can take it off of you. God said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Don't hold on to something that is bringing you down. If something is weighing you down, don't keep it from God. Bring it to God. You can't do anything with it, but I know a God who can. I remember that old song, he's done it before and he'll do it again. You might see the devil lies to you. The devil will tell you, you've been bringing that same weight to God for 50 years. Big deal. He's still a God who delivers. I'll bring the same thing to God every day if I have to because the weight doesn't belong to me. I can't do anything with it and it'll sink my boat. But if I cast my care on him, I know he's going to take it. He cares for me. Amen? Don't, don't, don't we sing that song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary? Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary? I mean, I, well, some churches don't sing that anymore because it talks about the blood and it talks about Calvary. But listen, though, burdens are still lifted at Calvary. They are. You can hold on to it or you can give it to God. Which one you think is going to turn out better? One's going to turn out better. One's going to turn out bitter. Come on now. Altars, altars are where things go to die. Nothing ever came up from an altar till something died. Even when Abraham offered up Isaac, God brought in a substitute to die in Isaac's place. Which there's a lot of theology in that, but listen, an altar is designed for something to die on it. And there are things in our lives that need to die. Specifically things that don't make sense because those are weights. I don't know why I have to do this. I don't know why I have, look, I don't know why I have to do a lot of stuff. It still doesn't make sense to me why we had to bury my mother. But if I hold on to that, that's going to sink my ship. I don't know why we go through those things, but I know a God who does. And I know where that burden is lifted. 
And it's not lifted by alcohol. It's not lifted by medication. Burdens aren't lifted by worldly means. Burdens aren't lifted by somebody patting us on the back. Burdens aren't lifted by writing in a letter to Dr. Susie. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. So he says, let, let us lay aside every weight. And you know what? I just, I feel the Lord ministering right here. I want you to know something. He said, let us lay aside every weight. That means whatever weight it is that's touching you this morning, it can be removed. He didn't say, let us lay aside the weights that we can. He didn't say, let us lay aside the easy weights. Like, I really don't know what I'm going to eat tonight. Well, you know, some people, that weighs them down because they may not have anything. But you know what? No matter what the weight is, no matter what the weight is, maybe it's something you don't understand. Maybe you've had to go through and walk through a fire that nobody else you believe has had to walk through. Nobody else has had to do this. Why do I have to do it? Every weight lay aside in Jesus' name. Every weight lay aside. If we don't lay it aside, it'll lay us aside. And look at the next part. It said, and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do you run the race? How do you run the race? Look at verse number two. Looking unto not your denomination, not your pastor, not your Sunday school teacher, not the evangelist, not the person on Facebook, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You've been called to look unto Jesus. You've been called to lay aside every weight, every hindrance, every sin that is besetting you. That means, that word beset means tripping you up. Things you can't get past. You need to give them to the Lord. If you're, look, grace is sufficient. Grace is available. But grace is not a license to continue in sin. Grace says, come to the altar and get set free of that sin. Grace says, come, get set free, and you'll be free indeed. Grace is available to pull you out of that besetting sin. Grace is available to pull you out. It doesn't keep you in. That's called sloppy agape. God loves you, but he's going to pull you out of that mess. Don't ever mistake that. When the, when the Lord was ministering to, to, the, uh, to the woman, 
that was in adultery? He said, go and sin no more. Look, he didn't stone her. He didn't refuse her. He didn't tell her to get away from him. He ministered to her. He met her need. And he said, now that you've been made whole, go sin no more. If God's given you another chance, take it and don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. Don't be like Lot's wife. If you've got breath today, God's giving you an opportunity to make things right. God's giving you an opportunity to bring your issue to the altar. If you are breathing today, grace is available for you today. Take it and don't look back. Go and sin no more. Bring yourself to an altar, wherever it may be, and give yourself to a holy God. And he will forgive your sin, and he will breathe new life in you. Amen? Amen. And don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. He said these sins, that they easily beset us. These are things that keep on keeping on tripping us up. These are things I just can't let go of. You know what? Nothing is more powerful than the blood of the Lamb. I don't care how strong the addiction is. The blood of Jesus is stronger. And not only, not only, not only that, not only that, but he makes you whole. God, God will make it to where you don't need nothing from nobody. God will put a wholeness in you. Wholeness, wholeness comes from holiness. If, if God makes you holy, he'll make you whole. Look, you don't need another person to make you complete. You don't need another job to make you complete. You don't need a drink to make you complete. You don't need another smoke to make you complete. You don't need to burn one or inhale one. You don't need... A boyfriend or a girlfriend to make you complete. You don't need a child to make you complete. You don't need a job to make you complete. You need one person. The Bible says in Colossians, we are complete in him. The only place where you'll ever find wholeness and completeness is at the feet of Jesus. That's why we should look unto him, looking unto him, the author, the finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end of it. In other words, it rests on Jesus. All of who we are in Christ is all at the feet of Jesus. It's not dependent or contingent on any other person. And the minute you begin to act like Peter and peek out of your eye at somebody else not having to go through what you're having to go through, you're going to start losing the battle. It didn't say, look unto Jesus and out of the corner of your eye, look at the Apostle John. He said, Peter, follow me. And Peter just kind of, I can just kind of see his eyes closed. His eyes were closed. He's just kind of, okay, I'm going to follow you. And then he just kind of opens that eye and he's like, well, he's not having to do what I'm having to do. Why isn't he having to do it? And Jesus said, Peter, follow thou me, buddy. Follow thou me. Look at me. Don't worry about them. Look at me. 
follow me. Jesus, he's saying, I am the author and finisher of your faith. Don't, don't worry about if you think they're more blessed than you or more cursed than you. It doesn't matter. Keep your eyes on me. Listen, if somebody else has more or less than you, it doesn't mean God loves them or hates them. All that means is you're carnal and you're equating blessings with worldliness. Woo, I got a new job. God loves me. When you, get, when you lose your job, does that mean God don't love you? Woo, I got married. Was it, okay, God loves you. When you get divorced, does that mean God don't love you no more? Quit equating worldly things with God's blessing. God's blessing is not worldliness. It's godliness. It's spiritual, not earthly. Earthly wisdom is devilish. Godly wisdom comes from above. Do you live for him or do you live for the world, by the way? Who do you live for? Do you live for him or do you live for the world? Look at verse number 14. We'll close in these two verses. Maybe. Look at verse number 14. Follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Do you know if holiness is not a part of your life, you're missing out? If, if, if you're not holy, you're not going to see God. That's what it said. Amen. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Amen. Amen. It, didn't, it didn't say your nose got to be up in the air. Look, if it's raining, we don't want you to drown. <laughs> Get your nose out of the air. Being holy don't mean you got your nose way up here. How many of y'all know people like they look down on you, right? Mm -hmm. You're not as good as me. That's not holiness. Holiness is living a set apart and consecrated life to God, obeying him in every place of the word of God that he shows you. And without, listen, you may not, you may not be where you want to be yet, but you're not where you used to be. All right, don't look back. Don't be Lot's wife. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Look, and don't stop. If you're not front sliding, I've got bad news for you. You're backsliding. If you're not growing in God, you're going backwards. Well, that don't make sense to me. Okay, well, let me ask you a question, Bible scholar. How much does Jesus love it when we're lukewarm? Jesus does not look like lukewarmness as kind of, well, you know, they're going to make it. Well, let's give them some time. Let, you know, God's do, let's just, you know, let, let's step back and let... Jesus don't look at lukewarmness like that, does he? He looks at lukewarmness worse than he looks at hot or cold. 
So look, there's got to be a hunger inside of you to grow in holiness. You should be desiring to be more of his today than yesterday. Lord, I'm sorry if I kept myself back from you yesterday, Lord. There was a, if there's anything in me that's not of you, I want it removed. This is growing in holiness. You know that some of the most ungodly people can wear the most quote-unquote holy clothes. But if you grow in holiness, God will change the way you dress too. I said God will change the way you dress. Not people. God will. God will put it. Because see, when you're growing in holiness, it comes from within, not without. And, and this holiness, this desire to be God's, to be set apart from the world, this desire to be God's comes because God loves you. It comes as a matter of appreciation that God, even though he could have rejected you, God gave you grace in a time of need. When you was on the outs, God said, I want you in. When you were struggling, God stopped and took time to help you out. That's grace. I said, look, if you're still breathing, there's an opportunity of grace for you today to come and be changed today and forever. God hasn't given up on you. Not till you draw your last breath is it over. If you're breathing, there's an opportunity for you to find the grace of God and to grow in it. To grow in it. So he said, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. When, you know, now I know we, we preach this kind of verse, but when's the last time you hear that kind of stuff? You know, there's t- I remember going to church for a long time, and I never heard that verse. I remember going to church for a long time. I never, there's a lot of verses I never heard, but that was certainly one of them. What, where did that come from? Who added this in the Bible? It must be the Mandela effect. Who added that in the Bible? Because that wasn't there. I've never heard that in church before. Well, it's been in the Bible forever. God don't change. If he required holiness back then, he still requires it today. I don't care what they say in the world. I don't care if they look down on us. If God told us to be holy, we're called to be holy and set apart, and we're going to be holy and set apart. In Jesus' name. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want you to see, though. This call that God places, listen, this call that God places, it it comes from a clean heart. Now, I don't have time to get in that, but you're not going to grow in, in holiness until God has cleaned you out. God's got to pull up all the ungodly things. And then he'll put in a desire to grow in holiness. And if you're not growing in holiness, it just simply means you need to go back to those altars. You need to go back to that altar and allow God, because only God can do it, but allow God to pull out all that ungodly stuff. Once he pulls out all that ungodly stuff, then you'll begin to grow in godliness and holiness. Look what it says in the next verse. So holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently. Y'all know what diligently means? 
Hello? Looking diligently? When was the last time you looked diligently for something? Was it when you lost some money? Was it when you lost money? Was that the last time you looked diligently for something? When was the last time you broke out a flashlight and tried to look on the ground for something? Huh? Maybe when the cupboard was full or empty, you just kept looking. Where is it at? I know there's something in here. Looking diligently. That means a pursuit. That means I'm on to something. I'm on to something and I'm hunting something down. Now listen to what he says, though. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Do you know what will short-circuit your pursuit of God? Bitterness. Do you know... What was about to destroy Peter's life? Bitterness. Do you know what has sunk the boat of many people? Bitterness. Well, why do I have to be a martyr? Why do I have to be crucified? What's going to happen to John? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to not have a job? Why do I have to be sick all the time? Why do I have to go on this roller coaster? Up, down, up, down. Look at them over there. They never have any problems. You see, the minute you begin looking over there, you're taking your eyes off Jesus. Who cares if their life is calm or a raging sea? Keep your eyes on Jesus. You can't do anything for them until you've been made whole at the feet of Jesus. And when you begin to compare your life to theirs based on how bumpy your boat ride is compared to theirs, bitterness will grow because somebody's life will always be in the world's eyes better than yours. In the world's eyes, there will always be always be somebody better off. And if you equate God's favor with that mess, you'll grow bitter. Isn't God good though? God calls, God calls us out of that earthly, devilish wisdom. And he will give you wisdom, listen to this, from above. Wisdom from above don't make sense. You see, wisdom from above, God can give you joy when your world has been turned upside down. People will look at you and say, what do you got to smile about? Your life is over. You don't have this and you don't have that and everybody's turned their back on you, but God hadn't. Amen. The word of God said, if God be for me, who can be against me? Amen. Amen. The joy of the Lord comes from his presence, from knowing him. Nobody can keep you from, it, from going into the throne of God and worshiping him. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we can obtain mercy. We can obtain grace in our time of need. When you need Jesus, you can go to him. You can go to him today. 
and find grace and mercy at his feet. God won't refuse you when you come to him by that old rugged cross. If you'll come to the end of yourself and say, God, I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of examining myself against others. I'm tired of thinking that I'm better off or worse off. I'm tired of the stinking thinking, Lord. I'm tired of it. And your word says that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And that's what I need, God, because I don't understand why I'm going through this, but I'm choosing to keep my eyes on you. And Lord, I pray that you would do that in my life, Father, that I would not walk in fear but I would walk in the power of God. Amen? Love and a sound mind. How many of you need that today? The spirit, power, love, and a sound mind. God wants to give that to you today. Do you know that God's no respecter of persons? It doesn't matter what the deck is stacked against you like God can give you the ability to get through it. Amen? Amen. Not only get through it, but get past it. He will give you victory with a capital V, not a lowercase v. You're not going to barely get by. You're going to be an overcomer in Jesus' name. The Bible said we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen? That don't mean you get by by the skin of your... No. That means you walk over those high places in Jesus' name. Go look at Habakkuk chapter 3. He said, it doesn't matter what the circumstances of life are like. I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to praise you. Because it's not about that. It's about who you are. And God will give you the ability to walk on those high places. God will give you the victory. The whole world will say, I I know they're gone or now. I know she's never going to come back from that. He's never going to come back from that. Well, you ain't never seen God do work in somebody's life then. Because God specializes in second chances and third chances and fourth chances. God specializes in taking the broken reject and rebuilding them and breathing new life in them and using them because God confounds the wise. God will use the nobody. God will use the nobody. God will use the nobody. It's when you think you're somebody that you done messed up. This morning, if you need God's grace, you can obtain it. You can come to the throne and God can give you grace today. If you're broken, you need it. If you have failed God, you need it. If you've got stinking thinking in your mind, you need God's grace. And it's available today. I don't know if he's going to give you tonight. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to let you live till tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to live till tomorrow. But I know if you are hearing this, grace is available to you. And if you need it, go to him. 
Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. And Lord, we pray right now against bitterness. If any person in here, God, that's listening to this is going through a circumstance in life that doesn't make sense, if they have had to lose the things of this life and it still doesn't make sense, Father, I pray right now a special time of grace for them.